Welcome to the Victor Nukin Podcast. This is episode six. I'm your host, Richard Rudge, and I'm joined here by Sarah Bernard. Hello. This is a podcast that discusses all kinds of fiction, from TVs to movies to books to comics and everything in between. And at the Christmassy time of the year, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have a shorter show than usual, but um, we've got plenty <laughs> to discuss with what we're gonna talk about. So, what do you want to start with first, uh, Sarah? Um, um, should we should we Jessica Jones first? Okay, well, you Jessica Jones. <laughs> Just punch someone through a window, probably. <laughs> Right, so off we go. I'll uh, let you start. What did you? What are your general thoughts on it? Um, I I loved it. It's it's been a late, it, quite a late in the year addition to my favourite instances of fiction consumed in 2015. I I really really enjoyed it. Um, which is good because without without you kind of raising the challenge of us us both watching it i probably wouldn't have got around to it probably not this year at least mm. so i'm really glad i did i did watch it um i watched i watched the first couple of episodes and was like yeah this is good this is interesting and then i got about four or five episodes in and had to devote every spare moment to finishing it <laughs> i just yeah it really clicked for me and i got way way into it um and and yeah i've i've watched it to completion i am there is a second season right <laughs> um i am assuming so because i think there's going to be daredevil second season but um let's do, i'll just introduce it slightly uh, Je- jessica jones is the second uh, netflix series from marvel the first being daredevil and um this one focuses around a private investigator with some level of powers uh, called Jessica Jones and her battles with a like ex-boyfriend slash ex-abuser what let's say called uh, Kilgrave and he, his abilities to mind control which is the referencing abuse and um, what this, this this show is based on a, a comic called Alias which is by uh, Brian Michael Bendis and uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Michael G- Gatos and um the the general premise is pretty much the same, but um, and like the elements are all there. But um, I've not actually read the book, the original co- comic. But um, like this, the series definitely has a much clearer focus than the the um the comic did, because obviously the comic is way is a a lot more superhero centric because of its comic book natures. Mm-hmm. So um. So there's a lot, a lot less investigating of the superheroes in this. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what what I found was so based on that, what what I found was I've not really have much relationship with the character, even though I'm quite a Marvel comics fanatic. Mm-hmm. And I found it a really good introduction and kind of a a really good focus on the kind of street level crime fighting that that like Luke Cage, Daredevil, and Jessica Jones are kind of all about. Yeah, it's a lot. It, it's a universe, uh, perhaps a corner of the Marvel universe that feels very lived in. Very, I hesitate to say gritty, but it is gritty. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's the weird thing about Marvel that like ninety percent of the heroes live in New York, and um, mm. like so, it makes that city seem probably way more bigger than it, <laughs> it actually is. Like so, like the original series of Daredevil all took place in Hell's Kitchen. Which is like a neighbourhood in, in on Manhattan Island. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's get to the nitty gritty of the show. Um, uh, I, th- I for me, I was kind of hooked after the first episode, and like it was, it was a show that I, I obviously the general speed of like watching Netflix those these days is binge watching, and mm. from I felt like I couldn't binge watch this show if that makes sense. Interesting. It's like heavy on on the um, on the themes and the emotions of it. it. It took it took a lot of strength for me to actually like watch a couple of episodes at a time. So like after the first episode, I was just like, I don't know, I think I'll do this. This is <laughs> this is quite heavy heavy stuff here. And, and like it took me a couple of episodes to like get the rhythm of it and um, get what it was going for as well. Mm, I very much get it being 
too heavy to kind of withstand for a long period of time. But I think for me, I had almost the opposite reaction in that I was like, these characters are suffering so much. I have to watch because hopefully it will get better at the end. Come on, guys, (laughs) let's push through together. And I mean, that is a a general kind of theme of of the series, really, is that like Jessica's battle with Kilgrave in in that she's doing it mostly for herself to find if there's any actual personal happiness at the end of it, mm. like and and like the nature of heroism, like ha- ha- like the general conclusion of the series was like she's seen as a hero, but she wasn't really necessarily doing it for heroic reasons. If you see what I mean, yeah. and I thought that was quite an interesting dynamic. It's like. You have the power to do something, but you're not necessarily doing it for the greater good. Yeah. Even if they match up. I think she's kind of a hero despite herself. Like, she can't resist getting involved, which, of course, Kilgrave very much preys on and injures people around her because he knows that she can't resist. Well, resist isn't quite the word, but she can't help. She can't help helping yeah. people, even if it's not something she particularly identifies as or with. Yeah, she she's kind of self-destructive in herself, but wanting to help to stop her from damaging anyone else, I guess. Mm. Makes sense. And um, I thought it was, like, in terms of villains, I think in, in the kind of TV and movie versions of the Marvel Universe, Kilgrave is probably the best represented, I think, they have had. Best, best represented as in... Um... As in, like, he feels like a fleshed-out villain and represents like powers and is like distinctly evil in in a very unique way Mm. i think he's evil in a very very human and realistic way even if the mind control is not human and realistic but kind of the dynamic between him and jessica is one that would definitely make sense and ring true without superpowers yeah yeah and i thought that was the power of it um there's a lot of discussion with kind of superhero books about like what does the metaphor of the superpowers mean to the real world so like if you look at like the x-men there's like a parallel of like racism and segregation where where over the years the kind of metaphor has kind of loosened a bit and it's just about x-men fighting other mutants and yeah. the the kind of message of against racism isn't there anymore yeah, in, in, in a certain sense, whereas this this felt like it ran true through the whole series, and I think with like, the sorry with the X Men, it's it's gone on so long that X Men now reflect X Men rather than the, the the you know the rest of the world. Yeah. It's yeah internalized, but yeah. Um, anyway, say what you're going to say about Jessica and, Jones. And, <laughs> and so, so what I thought was that um, throughout the series, um, Kilgrave represents that. Um, overbearing, like wanting to control everything, person that gets annoyed when some tiny little thing doesn't go their way, and just like salt the earth and burn everything mm. because because someone didn't do what he wanted, and and like that, that the kind of relationship between her and him and Jessica is very much a kind of annoying, like uh, bad boyfriend, but and. Uh, girlfriend who who knows he's bad but has only ever really felt uh, only ever been in a period of safety with him see what I mean Mm, I'm 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 trying to work this out in my head (laughs) Um, um, she's a bit self-loathing already before she even even met him and uh, she was very much like there, there was a certain period where, in, in like when she starts living with them again, where they start to kind of bond with each other, slightly bond with each other, even though she betrays him eventually. Where, where there's like a tiny bit of like, of their relationship there. Mm. Where, where she's ever had a tiny bit of happiness, but then, she has to like, think about that, and, and, and that's like the part where she he draws her back in kind of where, where there's a a, a, a sh- sliver of like happy life but you have to put up with like 90% of horrible stuff see what I mean 
And yeah, I see what you mean. I'm not sure I ever bought her ever going back to Kilgrave. Mm, I, I would have been disappointed by that because he's, yeah. it's it's so clear that it's an abusive relationship. He is an awful, awful human. And David yes. Tennant is really great in that role. Mm, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, I actually, yeah, I kind of appreciated all the the moments where where it would be kind of you know she'd understand she'd kind of see him as a person almost for a moment but then she would just turn around and shout at him and be like you're an idiot how could you believe that i Mm. i actually have any sympathy for you and she's kind of shouting at the audience as well there like look at yourselves don't sympathize with david Mm. Tennant, no matter how charming he is yeah i mean what what i was trying to say there is is like how how every kind of those relationships start is for a reason outside of mind control. Um, those relationships start, and you always think about how like an abusive relationship at the very beginning is always going to be good, and and like you hold on to that beginning point mm. as like a measurement of of the, the whole relationship, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I see that, and I yeah. also think what is done extremely well is how absolutely convinced Kilgrave is that he's in the right and that he's a good boyfriend to Jessica. And, yeah, and that know, his, his love like overrides everything he he did. Yeah, it, it, and he just doesn't sway in that vision mm. of himself as as a reasonable person and that's yeah. chillingly realistic, but mm. again, very well played. Yeah, very well acted by him and like you, you saw kind of the 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 pain in his eyes, but also the kind of broken psyche that led to him thinking that. Yeah. Things he does. So, and like, obviously the troubles with his his parents and the relationship he has with them, like, and things like that. So he, he was more fleshed out than a lot of, like, in his own backstory, as well as Jessica's, of, of like, the the road he's, he's walked down, essentially. Mm. I feel that about some of the supporting characters as well like Trish for example I really Mm. like Trish um she's one of my favorites um but I've notably like when she was introduced I I she didn't really do much for me and only throughout the series did I get to like her and that's just a very good indication of how well the characters were explored I think that you can kind of see multiple facets of them which you know is a basic requirement from stories about people i guess but yeah i think jessica jones did it particularly well and mm. i had a genuine emotional investment in everything going on so that was nice <laughs> mm. yeah definitely and and you you felt that power when certain characters died or or like certain things that like the moment when when he buys the house and, mo- and moves the thing and peels back the wallpaper mm. to reveal like Jessica's the height markings and the thought ah oh, that was that was such a like a powerful moment it was just like it's... every like bad feeling just erupted. It was also excellent payoff to um, the her repeating the streets by her house. Yes, as her yes. kind of PTSD. Oh you know, mm. getting out of a panic attack thing. Like, oh, mm. it all tied together so beautifully. Oh, it's, it's really mm. good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good and, show. And, like, speaking of, like, the extended characters, um, the uh, difference between Luke Cage, who, like, very much didn't want to interfere and just keep to himself mm. until, like, Jessica Jones brought him in, like, very slowly, and um, Simpson, who was oh, still there? I am still there. I can hear okay. you. My Skype right. is worried of the, about the yes. call, though. Same here. Um, <laughs> was and, and Simpson, who very much wanted to be absolutely involved and control everything because he thought he was right about everything. Yeah. Was the interesting difference. And, like, the the road they both went down and, like, Simpson thinking he could be in control of his own body even though he's, like, hooked upon, like, very <laughs> dangerous, like, chemicals and... Like his overconfidence in his abilities versus like Luke Cage wanting to play it safe and like keep quiet about things. I thought it was a different, interesting, uh, like counterbalance between those two characters. Yeah, I hadn't really thought to compare and contrast them, mm. but I can see what you mean now. Um, but, sorry. Go, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> can we just talk about Simpson? Because one of my best friends really likes Simpson, and I don't find Simpson at all an 
appealing no. or sympathetic character. I mean, in the early episodes, I can see it, but like the further he goes down that road, the, the more he sounds, he feels like a like a very overbearing character and someone and... you would. He he's like three steps away from walking down the road Kilgrave did. Yeah, and he's very quick to torture. Noticed yeah. that very early in the season. <laughs> I mean, he he's very much a representation of um, American army culture, isn't he? Like, yeah, like the kind of beat the beat the information out of you to get you to do what you want to do, and like violence solves everything, kind of thing. Mm. Which he he was kind of sort of on the side of Jessica in that the only way to solve this problem is to kill Kilgrave. Which like Jessica Jones is kind of fighting with. Yeah. Like, she she uh, like from the start she was like, oh, there's a way to stop him. We can bring him to justice. But like the further and further it went, like she was battling with that idea of having to kill him. When when he, even she, from the start she had she was like listing off the number of people that have died because of her. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that that was a very interesting thing. Like the power and responsibility of her powers versus what she can actually do to to fight uh, Kilgrave. Yeah. I was just thinking about... Because um, her, her hand was kind of forced by hope in the crushingly depressing episode 10, which just made me oh, want to lie down yeah. and die. <laughs> mm. um, but I think, yeah, throughout the series, she was very much like, oh, I can't kill Kilgrave. And there's a lot going on behind that. Mm. Like, but then she kind of just, you know, did a heel turn and was like, yes, I'm going to go kill Kilgrave right now. And I, I'm not sure how I feel about, I'm not sure I completely followed the journey to that decision. Like, was it just hope? Hmm. It, it, was it a point of no return and yeah and is it like would there have been any other option I mean the one the one like plot hole that I felt happened throughout was the uh, was only revealed like at the end where Trish is wearing headphones mm. and why couldn't any of them be were you wearing headphones before that I don't know but <laughs> like it's, it's hey this is a great idea yeah, or just like earplugs or something. It, mm. I mean, the, the, like, and it was never truly explained how this virus thing worked, but I don't think that was really necessary. No, well, like I was saying, um, it's a story that works without the superhero trappings, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it's a good show, and I am just d- delighted by how diverse it is. Mainly, I'm delighted that there's at least three interesting female characters who interact with each other. Yeah. That's very I exciting. I, I really liked... Um, it was Carrie Ann Moss who played Hogarth, the lawyer. Mm. Which, I, again, I only just looked at the cast list a minute ago and was surprised to see Carrie Ann Moss because I didn't make the connection <laughs> while I was watching it. But um, um, she played... Yeah, her character is really interesting because um, while she was only a side character, very pivotal certain moments of the story and... Like that showed like another it was like another metaphor for like controlling relationships. Yes. Because she was like she was the money maker of her of the relationship and and like as soon as like she's seen to be found or like basically found out to be like over controlling and overbearing, that's when her control like started to be slipping. Mm-hmm. Just, it's like as soon as her her true feelings have been revealed, is is when she starts losing her power. Like, and that's when her relationship with her ex wife, like, was revealed, and with her um, uh, a new her new girlfriend. Like, it's it's only like when the true like face of her is really revealed that that her her power just vanishes almost. Yeah, yeah. Like her power is very much this facade of I guess again of her being reasonable whereas everyone else well when you discover just what a terrible person she is because you know she's not Kilgrave level but she's not a great lady (laughs) she enabled several things for her own selfish needs 
Very clearly, yeah. Mm, yeah, she's incredibly selfish. And again, mm, again, again, not Kilgrave level, but not a great person to be in a relationship to all appearances. Yeah. I mean, in in a certain sense, it's what the series is kind of saying. It's very easy to walk down that road of like control, like have have it have wanting that level of control in your life can lead you to terrible decisions almost. So, because like the various levels of like Simpson and Hogarth and Kilgrave is like their various levels of wanting absolute control over your life and selfish needs mm. that can lead you to bad decisions. And of course, Trish's mom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she's very much a, a bit player in this, but obviously very important for Trish and um, Jessica's lives. Mm. And thematically, again, she's someone who has power over other people and uses it abusively and very much I think perhaps more than the others well I suppose some of the others die and stuff <laughs> but you mm. see it's again it's on a different level of kind of consequences in that she doesn't get to have functional relationships with her children because yeah. she she abused those relationships and it's mm. which Jessica Jones is a very grueling portrayal of several abusive relationships, which is why it's hard to watch, Mm. but worth watching. And for me, Jessica was an interesting character to watch. And sometimes her dialogue got a bit too um, cheesy, I want to say. It was a bit too um, like overbearingly aggressive, maybe, Mm. sometimes, but... But she is very much a character of like single desire and wanting wanting to like find a solution to it. So and she was very much one of one of action and not uh, think, thinking things through because obviously she's so determined to get like a solution to her problem. Mm. So she was often very like almost like cartoonishly singular minded. But I mean that played off quite well in the show, so it's it's only a minor point. Like cer- certain points where the dialogue just felt a bit too like comic booky, almost. But... <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> but that you know that comes from a certain place, obviously. Yeah, I think she she gives the impression that she just doesn't really want anything except for everyone to leave her alone. And there's one person who's never going to leave her alone. So she needs to sort him out and then she can just go back to being Jessica Jones and everyone leaving her alone. Yeah. Yeah. Which I can get behind. Which yeah, is it like a thought when I was watching is like, it would be quite tough to be her friend, but then she doesn't really want to have friends anyway. So it's, <laughs> mm, but that makes her relationship with Trish, I think particularly effective as yes, it's the one person that she will let in, even if you know she's extremely annoying to be a friend to be friends with. Jessica is not not Trish. Mm, yeah, and and um, her relationship with Luke is quite interesting as well. I, mm. I felt because obviously they they bond over having like secretly having these powers and and like having wanting some sense of justice, but then obviously it's broken apart by. Uh, her revealing that while controlled by Kilgrave, she murdered his wife. Yeah, not great. Not a great move. Yeah, and I mean it. And he was like smartly used because he wasn't really in the show much, and because of that, obviously he didn't. He stayed away from Jessica even more mm. uh, because of she her revealing that. And um, he was used sparingly because he is like, well, Jessica is, is powerful in a in a augmented strength and whatnot. He's literally indestructible. Yeah. More or less. And I thought it was really interesting how they played off his his powers with actually his human limitations. So, like, in the final two episodes when he gets shot with a shotgun. Yeah. Because he has unbreakable skin. He had, like, a severe concussion instead. And, like, and then you have to, like... Then there's an interesting like playoff of how do you actually treat a man with an unbreakable skin when he has a severe concussion? And we get both um, the lovely Claire from Daredevil and a horrible eye trauma moment. So. Yes. Oh Way. yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, and that, and that was a really good like um, connection between Daredevil and uh, Jessica Jones, just having that one character who more or less was like the most truest hero of the. <laughs> Of the series where she's she's acting so selfless, 
like to help out complete strangers. Mm. And she's seen it all before, which is very, it's always a fun sort of character to have where everyone's like, don't panic, don't panic. And they're like, I'm not, I'm not, I, this isn't a big deal to me. Like, calm down, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and you, as the audience, you have, you know the dramatic irony because you recognize the character. Mm. That's, that's always good fun, I think. Yeah. And, and that, that's a good playoff by having these two network, network series that built on each other in very, very minor ways, but it's a, like a key connection that is going to keep building the more of these series they do. Mm. Well, like it's, you say, it's all they're they're all in New York City. It's they probably should bump into each other now and then. Yeah, and literally the <laughs> same hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Daredevil's pretty down the road fighting, <laughs> fighting off mafia guys. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, obviously they've put some key points for a next series where they're revealing like the nature of the origins of Jessica's powers, mm-hmm. which obviously that's a tiny bit where Trishy's mom comes in and the organisation that Simpson was part of. So they're going to build on that in future series. But um, the other two, oh, sorry, three series they've still got to go are Luke Cage, Iron mm-hmm. Fist. And at some point, they're all going to join together to become the Defenders. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do with Iron Fist, particularly, because he's quite kind of a, a odd character in, in the modern context. Yeah, I've never heard of him. He is a uh, tech billionaire turned kung fu martial artist. One of them, like, hey. Like gifted with like mystical powers of, of the, the Orient or whatever. Like it was called back in the day, and um, so I wonder what they're going to do with him in a modern context and in a like realistic setting because obviously he's existed in the comics and they can play off that in a certain way because it's it's not a real world. Mm. But um, like it, like seeing him next to like like his costume is very much like tragic like seventies kung fu master. So we have like the slippers and like the open shirt and like even like um, if you can. If you uh, like the look of Luke Cage when he was originally drawn in the, the 1960s, was like a silk shirt and like disco outfit, basically. <laughs> I feel what, robbed now. <laughs> compared to what he looks like now, um, <laughs> I, I'm assuming that transition is going to be made. What could have uh, been? <laughs> like, like the like, I was so happy when he said um, "Sweet Christmas." Because it's his kind of catchphrase, and I was just wondering how on earth are they going to fit this into the show, if, <laughs> if possible. But the, he manages to say it twice, even I think. Oh, excellent! But um, yeah, and um, the original incarnations of Luke Cage and uh, Iron Fist—they were a team together, and um, they were called the Heroes for Hire. They were like one of the first superhero teams that actually demanded money, <laughs> their services. But like a, a kind of moral like conclusion to all these stories was that, that they didn't eventually charge any money. They were so rubbish at the jobs. <laughs> That's but, um, not how capitalism works. Yeah, but I assume at a certain point, all these characters are going to team up in one series called The Defenders. But on we'll Netflix. Yes, because if you look, if you search Marvel on Netflix, they're all there, just ah. not um, just not have any episodes attached to them. Oh, okay, that's exciting. Yeah, so that will eventually be a whole thing. And I assume by the end of next year, we'll have two other series to talk about. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a it's a bigger point, because I think Netflix have really cranked up the speed of the the amount of series they're putting out. Mm. Well, they like, do... Yeah. Sorry. Because I think in, in the time we've been doing this show, we've talked about, uh, obviously, Daredevil, Master of None... Jessica Jones, but there's been like a couple of others we haven't even addressed in like like hundreds, like not hundreds, but like twenty odd um, uh, comedy specials as well. So they're definitely oh, uh, wet hot, wet hot American summer as well. Yeah. So like the amount of shows they're putting out is like increasingly <laughs> at a rapid rate. What about the quality? Do you think the quality is remaining high? Hmm. Yeah, well, aside from the Adam Sandler film, which I refuse to watch, they're <laughs> pretty high. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's good. It's it's a it's a good thing for TV, and you know, I I love TV, so. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like Netflix is apparently the place to make, like, and Amazon are doing pretty like uh, breakthrough things with like Transparent. 
Yes. Like, this is where, like, the diverse and interesting TV shows and movies are being made. Mm. But the more, like, mainstream TV goes a bit more mainstream, I guess. And, and TV. And broad, and broad. Sorry. The more, the more that this is like the place to start to make the uh, interesting decisions because they it's not necessarily about courting a audience on a certain point. It's always going to be there from now on. If you see what I mean. Yeah. Like, the minute you put it on the service, it's there forever. So you're not exactly courting people on a certain day and date. So you don't have to be very. Um, present with it, I guess is the term. Mm, you don't have to worry about ratings in the same way. Yeah, it's it's a more of a long term investment. So having more diverse content is like a, 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 a clearer bet, I guess, rather yeah. than just a disposable thing you put on and have it last five episodes and disappear forever, kind of thing. Mm. It's just make... it's so exciting to hear these different stories and see these different people doing amazing work it's mm. ah, it's just i feel blessed to live in this moment of yeah. netflix <laughs> yeah and it's it's also interesting you get more more creators like emerging that i don't think would get tv made before like I i'm not sure aziz ansari would get his own show mm. outside of this like he he was before his netflix show and like he was, he was the third string character in a lot of shows, and so he's he's been brought like these kind of shows that were more like had like a stereotyped character as their like third or fourth character. Mm-hmm. Those actors are now getting their own shows and being the stars, so that's quite interesting as well. Yeah, well, look at Orange Is the New Black and Sensate. More Netflix originals. Yeah, yes, Sensate as well. Yes, delightfully diverse casts and creators. Yeah. So yes, Jessica Jones. I'd say that's a recommendation. <laughs> yeah, watch it. Go and like feel really sad about life for a few hours. <laughs> but it is quite like just to bring it back again. I was carrying on this conversation, but it is quite funny in certain points. I thought it is. It is very funny. <laughs> mm, yes. Okay. So the other like tiny little film we'll talk about today. It's a bit niche, you might not have heard yeah. of it. Yeah, it's just a tiny little thing called Star Wars. The Force Awakens, I'll say. Not the original. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> not talking about the 1977 film, no. Um, so, we've obviously both seen it, yes? I've seen it twice. Twice? Oh, you're beating me there. <laughs> I, I really want to go see it again, because it is one of those films where the hype and precedent of like seeing it the first time mm. like you'll be overly critical or like focus on certain things and then seeing it a second time just wash it over you yeah you'll probably get a like a better feeling of the film but um so so uh, obviously it's the seventh star wars film if you're counting the prequels which <laughs> many people don't many people only consider the first two star wars films to be the proper Star Wars, which which is a fact, growing up as an adult, astonished me really. Which which one is discounted? Return of the Jedi, like people see like certain fact factions on, on in the world see it as like the the starting of the um, mer- merchandising of like the apocalypse of Star Wars. <laughs> like I, and I can see there their theories of like obviously the opening scene in Jabba's palace is like hundreds of like different like uh, Muppet characters and like the Ewoks obviously is like kidifying mm. and you know I can see it but I love that film because it's the first one I watched ah it was, it was it was I had that on on VHS as a child and watched that over and over until I only saw like the first two when I maybe was a de- teenager mm. So I have I have such a stronger connection with the Return of the Jedi than any of the Star Wars film. That's interesting because I'm. This is probably I'm going to get because I don't know Star Wars very well. Um, I'm going to get it wrong now. But I was watching an interview of Oscar Isaac yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, he was saying 
almost exactly the same thing that Return of the Jedi is his favourite because it's the first one he saw. He saw it in the cinemas, and um, and yeah, you, you just can't divorce the film from his emotional connection with it. So yeah, yeah, that's that's entirely true. <laughs> I, I I think Empire Strikes Back is a, a stronger film, mm. but but the the third one is, is is still there in my memory as like my childhood memories of that are so much stronger, and and it's why I like got into it in the first place so it's and i had all the toys when they started putting them out again in the 90s and you know there's like a strong connection there for me so obviously you're not too connected stout to star wars then no i mean i've seen i've seen all the films um one of my strongest memories of going to the cinema is actually to see the phantom menace because Ah. (laughs) um i saw it in padstow in cornwall because you know we were on holiday there Mm -hmm. and at the time they had a tiny independent cinema there so we went we went to the tiny independent cinema to watch the phantom menace and there was an interval and we had ice cream and (laughs) and that like when did that movie come out how old how old would i have been it was 1999 i think was it might have been earlier um Okay. It's late 90s anyway. Yeah, so I'm I'm under 10 years old, so yeah. the ice cream, that's quite significant. Um <laughs> so yeah, I'm I've I've seen I've seen them all at some point, but certainly not recently. Not recently enough embarrassingly to have recognized the Millennium Falcon when I saw the wow, film. Wow, okay. <laughs> Cuz you know there's that great reveal of like yeah. the junk ship and yeah. Obviously, I realise now you meant to be like, whoa, it's the Millennium yeah. Falcon. But I was just like, okay, cool. Are they going to get in that ship? I guess they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we're um, like a specific age where obviously these prequels came out where uh, at a time we were of a, a cognizant age. Mm. More, more, it's like we were teenagers when they finished the the original Sorry, the prequel trilogy. Yeah. And so, like, compared to older generations, they're probably not as bad as other people think they are to us. Like, especially me, because I think they're bad films, but they're not as bad as, like, people want to burn the earth and <laughs> destroy every copy of it. But, um, and I can see the problems with those films, because they're very, like, st- uh, bad sterile is, is is the word i would call it yeah yeah but um yeah but i still have like i remember seeing episode three in the cinema like like you were saying episode one and i think i saw episode one in the cinema but i can't really remember but um best um, repressed yeah and so we have like different connections to like certain people's and like people younger than us probably appreciate those films way more than we we do the prequels because they're obviously the ones they grew up with, and they were like five year old when they saw Jar Jar Binks, and mm. he's incredibly funny, which, you know, a certain people, oh yeah, I don't think he's, <laughs> he's a good addition to that film. But, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll move on to the future then. So, Star Wars The Force Awakens, seventh film, first film after the original trilogy for 30 years, and so mm-hmm. things have moved on a bit. And but there's still remnants of the empire there, and the rebellion is reformed in some form. And obviously, we have a new generation of characters. So like, Ray for for a start. Ray. Yes, Ray. Ray um, is so important. They all are. <laughs> they all are. Hmm. But she she was. I think she more or less took the role of both Han Solo and. Luke Skywalker in the fact that she's very good with like mechanical engineering and like she she's a survivor more more or less than anything I thought. Yeah. Because she lived she's lived on Jakku as a slave and it she was a slave that was what they were implying wasn't they? Uh, sure. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, she was stuck on that planet and had to like take junk to a a man to get food. That, that <laughs> Is was that more slavery? Less... I feel like that's scavenging. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> but I, th- I imagine we're going to find out more of her backstory. Yeah, and, and that was the significant part, is that most of her life pr- prior to the film wasn't really revealed or or talked upon, apart from that she was stranded there as a young child. Mm. 
some by someone we don't know who, and so and so she she's more or less the star I would say of this film. Yes, but as you've probably seen, nobody told the merchandisers. So, yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, <laughs> I've been eyeing up a Lego speeder, raised Lego speeder for a while, so there it, there is stuff there, but obviously. Yeah, I've just seen lots of, you know, um, pictures of toy sets with no Ray in. They've got Finn. They've got Poe, who's in it for like ten minutes. But... Yes. And, <sighs> yeah, it, it it's a weird decision, but yeah. You know, but obviously... I think it's, um, it's it's not the same situation, of course. But it's a bit like Frozen, where they just were not prepared for the demand um, yeah. for for merchandise, and so they yeah. yeah. Next Christmas, you'll be able to buy all the Ray dolls you want, and I will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, so obviously, then we have the other main characters are more or less Poe Dameron. He's he starts he kicks the film off, but he's in in it for like fifteen minutes, which Mm -hmm. I thought was a weird, weird decision considering like the 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 iconic nature of like the X Wing and like his actual role in the film was quite important. That he's the guy bringing the map of of uh, luke to um to the rebellion which again so so this film mirrors the original star wars quite a significant amount and mm-hmm. that's the one part which didn't really make sense to me is that why they are looking for luke and why it's as important as the the information of like the death star plans in the original like also- the, on, also, Luke is just hilarious. Like, I'm, I'm leaving. Goodbye. Here's a map to where I am. Bye. Yes. <laughs> and this, this R2 droid will magically turn on right when the story <laughs> needs it to be, and reveal the last part. Apart from that, like sto- story overall, was I thought it was quite good and like brought in like the characters together in interesting ways and like reformed that like group of rebe- rebels. Like in a, in a cool way, an interesting way. Like Finn's like meeting of Ray and like his his story of like being a it, like breaking his protocol as a like trained soldier mm. and not wanting to be that anymore and trying to make an basically just get away from the Empire. He he didn't necessarily want to be a hero. Yeah, he just wanted to get away from the Empire but make things right because he eventually got Ray ca- captured, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he, he was quite interesting because he didn't want to be either. He just wanted a new life for himself. And so he he was kind of the, the one item that didn't, like, mirror the original film. So he was just inherently interesting to me because of that. Finn is, yeah, he's, he's very appealing, I think. I think he's played wonderfully by, oh, what's his name? John, John Boyega. Boyega, yeah. Um, I, he's just very charming. I'm very charmed by by all of the new characters but it's just it's just very funny like all of his stuff like um yep i'm from the resistance this is what we look like (laughs) (laughs) yeah and um, his his and ray's enthusiasm was like really really welcoming because like they're just like really excited because of what they just did and like they're like escape from jacku on the millennium falcons like did we just do that oh my god oh my god yes (laughs) i think he's really like appealing to like a younger generation and like the uh ultimate excitement tumblr generation almost mm. there's just a lot of genuine joy and excitement in the film which is yeah a part of the reason i saw it twice because it was just a really fun film to see mm, yeah and and like oh let's talk about um kylo ren then yeah so, you know, the <laughs> emo kylo of, ren yeah the opposite of of joy um I thought he was really interesting as like a a villain character who's like barely in control of his own like emotions and like but super powerful in what he can do, mm. and like really like twisted about by his like, like relationship with his spoilers parents, um, Han Solo and, and uh, Princess Leia or or General Leia or whatever, um, and like the like mystery mystery of like how did it, how did he like become the man he is by being brought up by Han and, Han and Leia. Because mm, that's like, a whole bit that we haven't seen because of the 30-year time jump. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I don't think... Well, I think we might see bits of that, 
in future films, but I hope we don't see too much of it, like because then we get into prequel territory of like revealing too much of things that that you don't want to know, basically. Yeah. Do you but think? Sorry. Go on. Do you go think on. we're gonna get a Kylo Ren redemption arc? Maybe, but but maybe not because like him again. Spoilers. Um, him him uh, killing Han Solo, I think was his ultimate dive deep into um, the dark side. That was like, not yeah a great thing yeah. to do. That was his absolute turning point. He can't really go back now. I mm. don't think. Because like in that conversation they had on, on that in that moment uh, where, like for me it, it danced back between forth of like him wanting Han Solo to kill him there, and like him off, obviously offing Han Solo. Mm-hmm. He was like at a turning point where he was just like he was battling like with these emotions before, but it's like I have to make a decision here of where, which way I want to go. Mm-hmm. And like ultimately, he chose the one way. <laughs> and oh, I thought, Ren. yeah, and I thought his um the the he's like if you compare his arc to Ray's, Ray's very much a survivor who's ex, like experience and life of like made her be able to survive and have all these skills and ultimately be able to develop her skills of the uh, the Force mm-hmm. when they eventually arrive to her. Whereas Kylo Ren was born and and trained by um, Luke and his academy, but then like threw it all away when things didn't go his way, and it's very much an education versus experience uh, fight between the two. And obviously, Ky- Kylo Ren's like exp- um, not experience, education, and arrogance like took the best of him, where he like when he's given an opponent that is so much naturally more experienced than him. Mm-hmm. And, like, he, I thought his his performance was really good, and, obviously, that final battle was really good as well. Yeah. Sword, yeah. I, I found notable um, about, about The Force Awakens, um, like, whenever there's an action scene in many films, I do kind of zone out and find it difficult to follow, but... I'm not even sure it was an emotional investment thing. I just thought there was very good fight choreography in that I could follow everything happening. Maybe I'll just pay more attention. Mm. I mean, you're you're tr- you're right. I think they they did like do a focus on like what they wanted to show in those fight scenes rather than just the chaos and the action and the movement mm. and the cameras, like that that camera movement style that like the Bourne identity introduced, where everything's just chaos and you can't see a thing. Mm. And um. But yeah, the the sword fighting was very clear and 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 had weight to it, which is very different to the the prequels had. Like yeah. even then, the prequel fight scenes were just like re- really like overly f- flashy and like oftentimes it they were really didn't look like they were trying to hit each other. Mm-hmm. And like this felt like the, like the swords had weight to them that they were that actually like in danger, and um like and especially the um, the uh, the space ship sequences. Yeah, they, they felt very clear. Obviously, cause a lot of the times they're on very clear, like contrasting backgrounds, like of the desert and the and space, and mm-hmm. so so that aided them more so than anything. But there was a very like clar- good clarity to um the uh, the fight sequences. Mm, good job, JJ Abrams. Hmm. I and, think. I mean, overall, for me, is is kind of what sold the whole thing for me is that it felt didn't feel like a J.J. Abrams film didn't feel like any other film it felt like a Star Wars film yes and even I not really having much of a connection to Star Wars I got all the nostalgia except for the Millennium Falcon um but especially <laughs> the music cues it's just it's a Star Wars film it's very yeah. exciting and the tracking yellow text it's like ah it's Star Wars yes yeah. it, it felt complete in that sense and like obviously there are tiny bits of like plot details that aren't particularly smart, but um, <laughs> um, I don't. It, it it's one of those films where like the overall feeling and quality of the film felt good, but you can like because if it's such a film of importance, you can and want to like nitpick these tiny little things mm. away. I feel like there are so many bits where it is like, oh, what what was going on here? But then 
but then the added overall like mystery in certain segments of like oh who was this character this is really interesting and then like then they don't go, like, go into it and that's like super interesting like the thousand year old woman who worked in that cafe like where they go get the well they, they go to get a new ship but ultimately get Luke's lightsaber uh, yeah, you, Mars. With, with the yeah, with the glasses like played by to... Lupita Nyong'o, which amazing. Mm. Yeah, and she was a really interesting character, and she was only there long enough for you to get that mystery and then leave. It was very much like Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back. It was like mm. you meet him, and like the mystery bit and the reveal of him being the Jedi Master, and then you ultimately leave him alone. Whereas again, the prequels hammered you into the head that this guy is important and like revealed too much of him and gave him a lightsaber and did all this stuff and he was just on screen for too much time and the complete mystery of him went yeah i think that's a really that's another reason why the force awakens um another reason why i think the the battle scenes are quite easy to follow is um it's a very tight central cast. There's not very many people where you're like, oh yeah, there's that guy and that guy. Because there are extra characters introduced, but they're mostly yeah. not not super important. Yeah, it, it was only not the X-Wing squadron where they're, they're introduced in that battle, but that's where they were only important. So it, was, it wasn't like there was a moment where like they were all like saluting and introducing themselves and whatnot. Yeah, he didn't feel too overwhelmed. Um, yeah. Because you've got Ray and Finn to worry about, that's about it. Hmm. And that's the thing, it's it's a very J.J. Abrams thing to introduce a lot of things to add mystery and never <laughs> never never, tr- never truly explain them, but half the time it doesn't matter. Like, Captain Phasma is just, is just there and, and he's cool looking. But and it's also... played Go by on? Gwendolyn Christie, who yes. I also love. There's so many <laughs> great, great cameos. Hmm. I mean, I, I wish she was in it more, but I, I feel like she is going to be like the Boba Fett of future films because mm. she does very little but is ultimately very cool and, and interesting looking yeah yeah she's awesome mm. and yeah what do you, what did you think of bb8 bb8 is extremely adorable um <laughs> though i i said that to to my girlfriend and she was like bb8 was literally just wally <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, um, I, I guess it's kind of just a cute robot. Like, if you were I mean, sent to design a cute robot. Yeah. I mean, R2-D2 is the original Wally, so it's... it's <laughs> yeah. Like jumping... But he, he was he was good. He, he did feel like... I don't know. It's, there was a weird moment where they kept calling, like, specifically naming. It's a BB-8 droid. And it felt really weird to me. I don't know why. Hmm. Like, it didn't leap out to me. Like, like certain members of the Empire were just like, we're, we're tracking a BB-8 droid, and it felt so like out of place that they're, they're calling it a BB-8 droid. I don't know why. Like R2-D2 still hmm. fits to me. And uh, I guess I haven't like fully immersed the BB droid into my like this existing Star Wars thing, but it felt it felt like this is a BB droid. <laughs> I don't know. It felt really weird. What would it be less weird if they said droid or less weird if they said BB-8? Less weird if said BB-8. If they're just looking for a droid, it would have felt a bit more okay. I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's a very weird problem I have, so we'll, we'll ignore it. <laughs> but, but I felt him. I felt him really charming, and he was part of some of the fun of the film as well. Because like he had some really good comedic moments. Yeah, some of the best jokes for sure. Like. Like the thumbs up moment. <laughs> that was the exact one I was thinking of. <laughs> Which again was a very charming and fun moment for Finn, even if he was, you know, lying. He, yeah. Just he's very funny. Mm. <sighs> They're just all so great. I'm going to go see it again. <laughs> yes, I'm definitely going to have to as well. <laughs> Can I just talk for a moment about Poe Dameron? Yes. Okay. Okay. So um, I watched. I watched this video of Oscar Isaac singing the Bill Murray Star Wars song about five times this morning. That was <laughs> that was like okay. ten minutes of my life. I'm not going to get back, but I have no regrets. But um, before I saw the film, one of the main things I had encountered about it was uh, the theory that Poe Dameron is gay. Have you encountered this? How do you feel about this? No, I've I've only seen a gif of where 
I think Tumblr trying to ship um, Finn and Poe together. So that's about the extent of it. Mm. But but I, think... I, I can see it. Mm. So. Most of the evidence I've come across is that he's not explicitly heterosexual and mm-hmm. I'm all for homonormativity. So <laughs> that very much works for me. I, I don't know if I can see like Disney-owned Lucasfilm going for that, but I would be excited yeah. if they did. I think it's, it's going to be one of those films that they'll like maybe tease it for years and years until they actually ultimately like give you a small reveal, like... Like the, what Cora did and what other films, like, not films, uh, Hannibal did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to invoke the name of Hannibal, but... Uh... I was doing so well, I haven't even said it, I haven't even mentioned Hannibal for like a whole hour, and then you just... <sighs> yeah, but it, it is the problem of like, giant, like, super mainstream entertainment of like, dancing around the idea of any kind of homosexual relationship. Mm. Until it is explicitly clear, but um, maybe it's there. I'd be interesting to see that, like if, if that becomes the Han and Leia of these tr- this tr- this trilogy, I'd be super interested. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've become a bit fixated on the idea. Just you know, because we've got an amazing female hero, an amazing black hero. Can we have an amazing gay hero as well? Is that so much to ask? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, <laughs> there was always a theory years ago that C-3PO and R2-D2 were gay. <laughs> I'm not really sure they count as LGBT representation. No, no they don't. <laughs> C-3PO turning up was one of the one of the biggest, I think, biggest laughs and biggest nostalgia yes. moments. Yes. That was really great, and his red arm. Yes, and and this will bring me to a further point. His red arm. Is is going to be explained in a I think now released comic book, right? Which yes, that's the thing, and um, which obviously because because Disney own Marvel and they own Star Wars, they can do Marvel Star Wars comics. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it it brings the bigger question of because um, when Disney bought Star Wars, they kind of exercised a lot of the extended universe books to be yeah. non-canon, mm-hmm. which I'm fine with mostly. Because a lot of it was kind of not particularly great in its kind of world building, and like often it was just like Star Wars, the original films, but just slightly different a lot of the times. Where they're just like, oh, it's another Death Doomsday Machine. What <laughs> the plans for? But um, but what it what it did do is is like bring a lot of like history and extended tiny little things, and like with, with them having a comic specifically explaining why C three PO's arm is red. <laughs> It, it gives me all those feelings of like, why are you making these extra tiny things that no one wants to read? <laughs> like, yeah, I think ex- these extra tiny details that are only kind of smart because you can release a comic book. Yeah, like it's it was a throwaway thing, but also it's not kind of throwaway throwaway enough that casual audiences aren't going to be like, hmm, I wonder what the red arms about. Like yeah. it wasn't very subtle. <laughs> It's something that's important to see through through, but no one else. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, why are we talking about funny. this? Yeah. <laughs> and Solo doesn't want to know why his arm's red. He's just... Like, he just met uh, Leia for the first time in several years, so it's... <laughs> Which, again, I really liked their both their performances, Leia's and uh, Hans. Yeah. And the, uh, Leia is the general. That's That's nice. Yes. That's cool. I mean, I think she was a general, like, from Empire onwards. Mm. It's kind of one of those things that they didn't really explicitly say until, like, the new films. But, like, again, they called her princess until, like, the last of... The, uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. She's, she's one of those things which... It's always things that bug me in those original films. Like, because obviously the original films are, like... The uh, format they are... And like the storytelling format is is like saving the princess and fighting the empire and all these like very classical storytelling devices. Yeah. So that's why she was called a princess more of anything. But there was no like evidence of actual royalty apart from that scene at the end of um, A New Hope where they're giving medals. Mm-hmm. But like it, it only ever felt like she was called princess for the point of storytelling me- mechanisms. So having her not be a princess is always completely fine by me. 
but yeah, um, and in terms of like mirroring the uh, the original film, it did bug me a little too much in certain points. It's like you re- when you realise like, oh, they're going to a cantina again to getting a ship. Yeah. Get, yeah, and like certain things like where they're explicitly like mirroring certain points, but then like again the overall quality of the film over overrid that, so it was it was fine by me. Mm. And again, just the sense of joy. It was yeah. just probably the most fun I've had at the cinema all year. And, you know, isn't that what it's all about? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's the one thing that I don't think you should take Star Wars in its like universe particularly serious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like wh- wh- when people do take it so explicitly serious. <laughs> probably as a result of the prequels more, more than anything. People did take them quite badly. Yeah. I always remember the episode of Spaced. Yes, I was, I've been thinking like, about that this whole Because like, obviously the first, yeah, the first series of Spaced happened before uh, mm. Phantom Menace and the second series happened directly after. So it was, that transition <laughs> from him loving to hating was br- to Star Wars was brilliant. Doesn't he get fired for shouting at a small child about Jar Jar? Yes, he does. <laughs> In the comic book shop he works for with Bill Bailey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so we're, we're at about an hour, and I think that's going to do it. I think so too. Yes. So uh, well, we'll briefly talk about any tiny little things you're looking forward to the new year. Tiny little things. Um... um... See, I suggested this as a point of discussion, but I still haven't thought of anything. <laughs> I am reading a book at the moment called The The Dark Days Club, which is out next year, which is okay. exciting. It's um, it's kind of a Regency romance, except for the, the debutante discovers, she's an heiress as well, she discovers that she is essentially a slayer and can oh. fight demons and um so it's, it's quite fun it's it's mm. very silly but well researched and fun okay, so cool. look out for that dark days club by yes. alison goodman i mean for me uh, i mean next year we're getting another star wars film yes oh my god uh, rogue one uh, so we've got that to look forward to I'm sure <laughs> in, a year, in a year's time we'll have the same conversation and um uh, the, in terms of things looking forward in 2016, there's a game called No Man's Sky, which is a video game, which is essentially like space exploration, where the entire like the the entire universe is like procedurally generated. So every planet you'll visit will be completely different and and unique to the per- player. Wow. And and so like there's like there's there's a basic premise of like. To complete the game, you're going to reach the center of the universe, but like the universe is huge, basically, and like every every player lives and and interacts with this universe. But the likeliness of anyone ever actually meeting each other, because it's a giant universe, is like unlikely. But but there is also the promise of like if you discover a planet first, you get to name it and things like that. That sounds like what console is that? Um, it's going to be on everything, I believe, on uh, like PC, Xbox, whatever. That does sound yes. exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, the premise of that and like the idea of just like flying around and discovering new planets and like fighting like uh, pirate ships in space and kind of things like that. Awesome. Yeah. So hopefully that comes out next year, but we'll see. <laughs> Game <laughs> is a tricky beast, and with something like that, it's like even more trickier. So. Mm. We'll see. But they've slated it for next year. Yes, I believe that's so they have, yeah. Awesome. I just remembered a very important book that comes out next year that I'm super excited for. Okay. And um, it'll be, like, ugh, unforgivable for me to forget, which is The Raven King by Maggie Stiefvater. And it's the fourth book in The Raven Cycle, which is an amazing um, YA fantasy series. But it's... Ugh, I'm obsessed with it, and I'm going to reread the the first three, which I read for the first time this year. So <laughs> I'm going to reread them next year in preparation for book four, which is going to be very, very exciting. Cool. Is there anything? Yeah, I was thinking of there. Is there anything I wanted to actually like re re watch or reread? And the only thing I came up with was um, battle the uh, 2000s Battlestar Galactica. 
Ah, I've never seen that, but I have long wanted to. Yeah, so I, I watched it like only a couple of years ago after it finished, and it, it like that series is really good. Mm-hmm. Like, it ends on a bit of a rocky point, but I was kind of okay with it. Like a lot of people don't like how it ends, but I, it's okay once you get there. How long <laughs> is it? It's five seasons, I think. Okay, so it's not too not, long. Not I, not one I can kind of just marathon. Yeah, it's it's five seasons, like twenty six episodes a season kind of thing so it's quite long yeah and like there are certain points where where like it's very inconsistent in its in in its season quality like Uh the whole first half of like the third season is like very different for the rest of the show (laughs) so like things like that bounce it out but like the first two seasons of that series are excellent okay I, I've, as I said, I have been meaning to watch it, but you know, if I start talking about what I've been meaning to watch, well, um... we we could do a a, uh, a Jessica Jones style group watch again. We could. On like the first season, I guess. I think. I it, yeah, probably not all five. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't really manage that in a month. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll 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 see on that one, but um, I think that's been a show, hasn't it? That has been a show, yes. So, and it's been a, a year. Yes, it has been a year, indeed. We've had so many good films and so many good games and books and things. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's hard to list them all, but, like, obviously, like, the, the more than ten, like, Netflix shows we listed earlier, for one, is just, like, an amazing <sighs> quality barometer. We are and just we, blessed. And we had Mad Max Fury Road and Star Wars in the same year. Mm-hmm. Both incredibly quality action films that had like diverse casts and like interesting female characters and like super high on the quality barometer, <laughs> and that people got very excited about as well. Yes, like these aren't kind of just under the radar niche releases. Yeah, these are making headlines, so that's really cool. Yeah, so right, where can we find you on the internet, Sarah? Okay, you can find me in most places as S. Louise Barnard. Um, that's like Tumblr and Instagram and Twitter. And my blog is sarahlikesbooks.wordpress.com. Okay, and uh, myself is R.L. Rudge on Twitter and most things. And um, you can find all my comics and artwork and stuff on aecomics.tumblr.com. And of course, I have a book called An Unwritten Adventure. Of course you do. Yes, I do. And um, obviously, I'll be doing lots of Comic-Con appearances in the following year, so I'll keep you informed of those. I think the first one is in February in Telford. Exciting. Which is exciting, yes. And um, you can follow this podcast at uh, at Fiction Podcast on Twitter and I think on Tumblr. But um, and with that, we'll uh, see you in 2016. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Bye.